I always preach better after a glass of wine, so I, <laughs> I probably sound better after a glass of wine as well. Uh, God is so good, isn't he? He's so good to us. He's so faithful. Uh, he's so amazing. He's so wonderful. And already uh, God has been speaking to us and he's been moving through us. Uh, he's been speaking to us about eye contact and intimacy. He's been speaking to us uh, about uh, an internal force that's breaking out. And I love that. There's an internal force of love, of the love of God, that is not content with just resting within us. It's God's heart, God's love is not content with just being dormant within us. But God's love has to break out. It's an inevitability. And fighting against it only means you're fighting against the inevitable love of God, which is coming to the world through us. And I'm so excited about what God's doing through the intimacy. You know, I was reading um, yesterday morning, uh, my son, Judas One, brought me his A to Z uh, book of God, which I've never read before. And I found it interesting because at all the you know, letters of the alphabet, God is A, amazing. God is B, beautiful. And obviously we went straight to Z and X and Y because I wanted to see what they did with those. <laughs> and some of them were cheating, like X, God is exciting. I didn't get on with that at all. Um, but then I got to Q and it said, God is sometimes quiet. I thought, hmm, yes, <laughs> God is sometimes quiet. And in those quiet times with God, those whispers with God, those small moments, they lead to the breakout moments. You think about a pregnancy, you think about the child that's, that's new within the mother's womb. You can barely even understand it's there. It's just a whisper. It's just a small thing. When it comes out, everybody knows about it. <laughs> I remember vividly, I still have flashbacks like a Vietnam War veteran, but, but in that moment, it was also nice as well, um, but, but mostly horrible. But um, there's some things they don't tell you. Um, but in that moment, there's a breakout of life, and I believe that's what God is going to do amongst us. There's going to be a breakout of life. Because of the quiet times, because of the intimacy, because of, of eye contact and love together intimately with God, that deepness of connection, there is coming some incredible blessing for us. I completely believe that God is going to bless us. And I know he's always blessing us. I know that God is a God of blessing. But I believe there's a season coming, which is a season of blessing. See, the journey we've been on as a church has been quite unconventional. Because journeys we like as human beings to be straightforward. We like journeys to go from A to B. We like trajectories and, and progress to go up in a graph in a nice 45 degree angle. And in business, that's what they like to see. But in business, they don't quite get yet that life and family and all those things don't ever look like that. Journeys never go from A to B. Just go with your family on a journey somewhere and you know that. There's stops and there's starts. You have to go quick. You have to go slow. You have to stop for a wee. Your wife has to stop for a wee. All those things happen. And trajectories don't go at a 45 degree angle. They go up and down and round and loop the loop and come off the page and on the page. And everything goes wild and it's crazy and worrying and exciting and adventurous all at the same time. And that is the journey God's taking us on because it's a journey of faith and it's a journey of intimacy where God says, yes, there's going to be progress, but a pilgrim's progress isn't a nice straight line, but it's this kind of crazy wild faith adventure that God's been taking us on. And God's been taking us on an adventure into depth 
and into the depth of relationship with him and relationship with each other. He's taken us on a journey into connection, connection with the heart of God, connection with each other. And I believe there's a season coming now, which is a season of intense blessing. I believe that God is coming to bless us in a way we've never experienced before. It's going to be the kind of blessing that isn't just for us, but it's a blessing to bless Huddersfield. It's a blessing that's coming for us, for the town. It's breaking out of the eggshell and coming to the rest of the community. Something is coming and I'm excited by it because we've got this swooping, um, arcing journey like a, like a bird in flight that's coming up into this incredible blessing that will bless the community around us. And so I'm going to be um, speaking today on the perfect conditions to cultivate blessing. And just like there are conditions to cultivate life, you need four conditions, you need food, you need warmth, you need oxygen, you need environment. I believe there are four conditions for blessing that God gives us. That if we follow these conditions, we will cultivate his blessing, again, not just for us, but for the community around us. So if you have a Bible with you, could you turn with me to uh, the book of Leviticus? which is at the front of your Bible, you'll probably have to dust it off, uh, peel back the pages, because it's one of those books that we never read. <laughs> because it seems boring and it seems irrelevant. But actually, if you catch the heart of God in this book, you will find treasure here. God speaks as much through this book as he would through Philippians, as he much through Revelation, as much through John or Luke. God's word remains true and remains living and active. And this is uh, Leviticus chapter 26, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, chapter uh, 26. And I'm reading out of the New International Version, uh, but other versions are available. Just not as good. No, they're all good. They're all just the same. Um, Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 2. It says, observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season and the ground will yield its crops and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest and the grape harvest will continue until planting and you will eat all the food you want and live in the safety of your land. I will grant peace in the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove the savage beasts through your country. You will pursue your enemies and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase 10,000 and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor and make, your, make you fruitful and increase your numbers and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it to make out room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with your heads held high. Now, this is an amazing blessing. And again, some of it we lose because of the context. You know, the context here for the Israelites is essentially farming and fighting, which was what their life was about, cultivating and harvest and swords. And we don't have much of that anymore. 
You know, for us in our modern lives, it's more like iPhones and iPads and I, whatever else. You know, there's a different context we have, but the word still remains true for us. This is still a blessing that God wants to give us. Now, what I've done is I've translated this into like a more of a modern uh, version. Um, and it's more of a kind of, there's, there's different ways to translate the Bible. The first way you can translate it is word for word. And word-for-word translations like the King James Version or the NASB, where you look at every individual word and you translate it with the word that best fits. And then there's other versions which are thought-for-thought translations. And that'll be something like the NIV, which we're reading uh, here, uh, or the voice, where they look at the, the, the verse and then they look at the verse and think, what's the thought behind it? What's the context behind it? There's a third way you can translate the Bible, and that's heart-for-heart translation. And that's where you look at the word of God, and you can do this and say, God, what was on your heart when you wrote this? Because the author's right there. And you can ask him, God, what's your heart behind this? I know what the words say. I know it's talking about swords. I know it's talking about planting. But what is your heart? And heart-for-heart translation translates for you the heart of God. And it requires a prophetic eye, which we all have, into the word of God. And so this is a modern heart-for-heart translation of Leviticus 26. And this is about us. I will refresh you at just the right time. And what you've worked for in your life will be successful. You will, we've already heard this, uh, testimonies of this. You will always have enough money for what you need. And when your needs change, I will give you more. You will afford whatever diet you choose for you and your family. And you will always be safe. I will eliminate stress in your life. And no person will have the power to make you afraid. Whatever worries you have will be taken from you. And all aggression will be extinct from your daily life. You will conquer your greatest phobias And you'll be able to breathe again. You'll end up laughing at the things that once made you so terrified. You will finally accept that you are my favorite. And I will give you more and more and more and more until you can't take it anymore. And then I'll just give you even more. You'll have so much you'll have to give it away. If only to make space for the fresh stuff. Most of all I will always be with you. And you will have such an awareness of my presence it will be ridiculous. I will be so at home in you that people won't be able to tell where you end and I begin. I'm the same Jesus who created the universe, who defeated sin and death, and I love you. I have already broken the chains and made the way for you to strut through your life. And this is us. This is God's promise for us. This is God's blessing for us. This is what's available to us. And I read that and think, wow, God, I want that because I'm not living that. I still have stress in my life. I still struggle. I still worry. And yet God says, this is for you. This is available for you. And I just think, wow, that's amazing. And it would be, if not just for this, it's a little bit at the start, just these few words right at the start where it says in verse two, observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, then You think, oh, it's just that one little catch at the beginning. If you do this, then I'll do that. Now, you have to understand, this is not God holding his blessing over your head saying, I'm only going to give you this if you give me that. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God, as we've heard this morning, is always and forever intimacy. And he doesn't just want co-heirs, he wants co-workers. He wants his sons and his daughters side by side with him, working with him to see the blessing take place. And so these aren't just commands, what they are are conditions to cultivate blessing. 
And if we live by these conditions and we walk in these conditions, we'll see such a harvest of blessing in our lives that will be not just for us, but for the people around us. And so in verse two, the first thing it says is observe my Sabbaths. Now, Sabbath was something so important to the Israelites. It was a part of their identity, Sabbath rest. And for Israelites, the Sabbath was a specific time of the week. It was Saturday, 24-hour period of no work. And what that meant was that maybe the Friday before, they do double the amount of work so they wouldn't have to work on Saturday. And they just enjoy that day in the presence of God, enjoying his presence, resting together. And they found life in that. And there is life in that principle. And the problem with modern life is we don't value that as a society. Rest is not something that you're supposed to have. You're supposed to work harder, work for more, get more money, go on more holidays. Holidays aren't often very restful in my experience because you're so active. But you're constantly in our kind of modern culture expected to work harder, work longer, do more. But just because you're doing more doesn't mean you're getting more done. And in following that culture and following that way of life, you're actually missing out on a blessing that God wants to give you. Observe my Sabbaths. The word observe in the Hebrew literally means to keep or to guard or to protect. Protect your rest. Observe my Sabbaths. Uh, First condition for cultivating blessing. This is a modern heart for heart translation. Fight for your right to chill out. Fight for your right to chill out. Now, I say the word chill out, and that's kind of trivializing Sabbath, but that's essentially what it is. It's time where you stop. You stop thinking about work. You stop doing chores. You just stop, and you enjoy rest. It's so important to God that he did it himself at creation. He didn't need to. He's God. But he did it to model a principle of this is how we live. This is what it means to live a blessed life. Rest. Stop. And fight for your right to chill out. There's a great um, a guy called John Mark Comer who's got an incredible revelation of this. He's written a book called Garden City, which I really highly recommend. And he talks about the blessings of resting. And I know there's lots of other stuff out there about it. But Leanne and I started doing this uh, over the summer. And it is incredible. It doesn't just change your life. It gives you life. There's a big difference. We decided that we would, as a family, rest on uh, from Friday night to Saturday night. So Friday night, 7 o'clock, phones are turned off. We put them in a box. All technology goes away, except my Kindle. That's different. Um, <laughs> Got to have some, some differences. Uh, all technology goes off. We break bread together as a family. We drink wine together as a family. Uh, and then the, the kids go to bed. And then all Saturday, we rest we don't do any housework. Not that we do much anyway, so it's not a big deal. You know, we, we rest. We enjoy the presence of God. We read books. We read the Bible. Sometimes we don't read the Bible. We go maybe for a walk. We'll, we'll hang out together. We'll eat lots and lots of food. We just enjoy the presence of God. And for 24 hours, we are banned from talking about calendars. We're banned from talking about stressful stuff. We're banned from talking about things we need to do in the week ahead. And it is amazing. Now, the problem is, over time, you start to lose it. You start to compromise. One of the kids gets ill, you think, oh, we'll just put the telly on for them. Or your washing pile's getting bigger, we'll just put a couple of loads of washing on. And suddenly, over time, that gets eroded. And you start to lose that rest. And it's so easy to do. But God's word says, protect the Sabbath. 
look after and protect that designated carved out time. Whatever it is for you and your family, whether it's like us, you do it for a day, whether it's a certain point of every day you do it, whatever it is, rest, stop, enjoy the presence of God, have that time. Because in having that time, I guarantee you, you will cultivate new blessing in your life that you've not experienced. It's a lie that you have to work harder to get more. Actually, yes, work hard, but also rest and know what it is to rest in the presence of God. It's an art form that takes a long time to get right. And me and Leanne certainly haven't got it right. And we're trying to get it right. But the more you do it, the more you practice, the better you are at the art of chilling out. Because we don't value it as a society, but God loves rest. And that's good news. Psalm 23 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me do it. He says, stop, just lie down, would you? Be quiet like we did this morning and just enjoy it. Yes, dance, but sometimes there's a time for resting. Rest and hear me like you've not heard me before. Because yes, I speak through wild winds, but I also speak through whispers. And in that restful time, you'll hear the whisper that's louder than the cries of the heart. So rest and enjoy the presence of God. Fight for your right to chill out because it won't just change your life. It'll give you life. And the second one there in verse two, it says, have reverence for my sanctuary. And the Israelites definitely would have had that because for the Israelites, the sanctuary was a physical place. It was a temple or it was a tent of meeting. It was a place where the presence of God resided and they had reverence for that. They were in awe of the presence of God. They were fearful even of the presence of God because they knew what came with it. Now, because of Jesus, because of the death of Jesus, because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of the freedom he brings, when he died on the cross, that curtain that separated man from God was literally torn in two because the presence of God is no longer reserved for a physical place. The presence of God isn't in this room any more than it is in a pub or anywhere else, but he chose to dwell in us. The Bible tells us that the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead lives in us. The Bible tells us that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Therefore, the sanctuary is you. The sanctuary is us as a body. Have reverence for the sanctuary. Modern version, second thing to cultivate blessing is this. Accept your awesomeness. Accept your awesomeness. You're awesome, accept that. And awesome in the biblical sense of the word that stand in awe of the fact that the presence of God rests in you. It's not about anything we've done. It's about all of what he's done. It's not about who we are. It's about who he is in us. To stand in awe of the presence of God within you. God himself, Jesus living within you. It's overwhelming. That's why we don't sometimes think about it, but it's true. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Have an acute awareness of the presence of God in your life and you will see your life transform. That word reverence means fear. Fear it. Be afraid of the fact, wow, I have got the presence of God in me. What does that mean for my life? Mary Williamson's written a fantastic poem I think I've read before, which is our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. It's not that we're inadequate. It's not that we might not get it right. It's the fact that the very presence of God lives within us. It's our light, not our darkness that terrifies us. Because we think, what am I capable of with Christ in me, the hope of glory? 
The Bible tells us that all creation is longing for the sons of God to be revealed. All creation is longing for the sons of God to be revealed. They are watching for the egg to break from the inside out, not the outside in. They are watching, saying, what is hatching in that man or woman of God? What life is going to come out of that shell? Because everyone's watching you, saying, break out of that shell. Let the light and love and grace and power of Jesus Christ out of you. Because what's inside wants out. The love of God is not just happy to reside within you. He wants out. He wants to bless the world. He doesn't just want to bless you, though he does. He wants to use you as a blessing. And that blesses you even more, as we've read. And it makes room for the fresh stuff to come in. When you see yourself in the mirror, look in awe and reverence of what God has done, is doing, and is going to do in you. Never look at yourself and say, I'm inadequate, I'm not good enough, I'm not this, my hair's not right, my earlobes aren't right, whatever it is. Look at yourself and say, wow, God is doing something in me whether I am aware of it or not. God's presence lives in me whether I'm aware of it or not. And therefore, I'm going to go out today and I'm going to see the presence of God move through me. It's a promise of God and we just need to be aware of what he's doing in our lives. Not because of our achievements, because of his. The third, um, third one there in verse 3, it says, if you follow my decrees. Now other versions don't use the word follow, they use the literal word which is walk. Walk in my decrees. And the word decrees uh, is a word, uh, kuka, which I promise you is a real word, uh, which means customs or manners. In other words, culture. Walk in my culture. Now, it doesn't say strive. It doesn't say struggle. It doesn't say crawl. It says walk in my culture. There's a sense of ease to that, that it's not difficult to do. We often make it more difficult than it is, but it is easy because of grace. When you've got grace on your back, it propels you into the culture of God that you don't have to strive. You don't have to struggle. You can just enjoy walking in the culture of God, not in the commands of God. Because there's a, a verse, I can't remember where it is, but it's in Psalms. And it says, I run in the path of your commands because you've set my heart free. And I love that verse because it's saying it to us that the commands of God aren't obstacles that we have to avoid and walk around and strive through. But the commands of God is a runway where God says, be free Enjoy the dreams I've given you. Enjoy the good things in life. Rest. Enjoy me. It's a runway where we can just run full pelt into the, full pelt into the arms of our Father. That is what it means to follow his decrees, to walk in his culture. And it's not just walking, because at the end of that verse in chapter 26, it says, I've enabled you to walk with your heads held high. In other words, you strut in. You can strut with confidence into the presence of God. Our third uh, modern version is strut into his culture. Strut into it. We sing a song, boldly I approach your throne. That's what that means. To boldly approach the throne of God is I'm, I belong here. I belong in the presence of God because Jesus has died for me. Because the life of Christ lives within me. Because my father loves me. I belong in this place. I, I am a part of this culture. You belong there. There's no striving. There's no striving. Jesus says, when they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you do that, you automatically fulfill all the others. 
You follow the way of love. You love the person in front of you. You love God with all your heart. You don't have to worry about the rest of it. Am I ticking it off? Did I, have I done this today? Did I honor my father today? Oh, did I, did I murder anyone? No. Brilliant. Sometimes I might. Instead, you follow the way of love and it just happens. That's how Jesus lived. He didn't live by a tick list. He lived by a love list. He just said, who can I love today? Who's in front of me I can love? How can I show my love to God today? Live that way and it frees you up. You are free to strut into the culture of God, to walk through those double doors at work and think, nothing can harm me. I belong in the presence of God. I can be myself because who I am is in Jesus Christ and in his presence. Follow the way of love. And finally, it says in verse three, if you are careful to obey my commands. Now, again, we read that and think as the Israelites would have done. There's a fear in that. There's a struggling in that. I have to obey the commands. It's cold and clinical. What has God told me to do? I'm going to do what he's told me to do. But the Israelites, because Jesus hadn't come yet, didn't understand the heart of God. And it's only through Jesus that we fully understand and have a revelation of what this really means. See, that word obey is shauma. That literally means this, to create a perimeter or a hedge of thorns around something. To create a perimeter of thorns around something. Now, when Jesus went to the cross, Satan perverted this. And we had the soldiers creating a crown of thorns and they placed it on the head of Jesus. And it was a a way to ridicule Jesus and say, your people were meant to do this. And instead they're doing this. Your people were meant to guard and protect and hold fast to your thoughts. And instead they're creating a crown of thorns and ridiculing you. But there's truth in that. In guarding, protecting, holding precious the mind and thoughts and commands of Jesus. When you hold them in that way, something changes in your life. Psalm 139 says, how precious are your thoughts to me. There's an intimacy. There's a big difference between a command and a thought. To know a command, you just need to know what God said. To know his thought, you've got to get to the heart of why he said it. And when you get to the heart of God, it's no longer a struggle. It's no longer cold and clinical. It's warm and it becomes a part of your life. His commands are his ways, his ideas, his truths. And when you get close to the heart of God, when you hold fast to his mind, because we have the mind of Christ, it becomes easy. And so our final condition, bear hug his thoughts. Bear hug them. Hold on to what God has not just said. What's he thinking? Who's he thinking about? What's he doing? Get into the word. Ask him. Find out. Because it's more than just commands. It's more than just dead commands, it's living thoughts. The word of God is living and active, not dead, cold, and a big slab of rock. It's something that gets into you and you can't get out. Bear hug his thoughts. Hold precious his thoughts. There is a level, as we've heard this morning, of intimacy to that, where you get close to the quietness and say, God, what are you saying to me? What are you thinking about? It's okay to ask God what you're thinking. I remember Leanne used to do this to me all the time when we were going out, constantly asking me. I'd be driving the car, she'd be like, what are you thinking? And I'm not thinking of anything, because I'm male, so I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I'm like, nothing. She's like, you must be thinking of something. What are you thinking? I'm like, oh, I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking about getting home. No, what are you thinking about? And she'd constantly be asking me, what are you thinking? And it was only after a while I thought, I do actually think sometimes. And I started telling her, and I was not interested anymore. <laughs> I'm thinking this, yeah, fine, you've told me before. But there's a level of intimacy. God, what are you thinking? 
God says to you, what are you thinking? Hold precious his thoughts. If Leanne asks me to do something, if she tells me to do something, I'll do it. Because we're married and I love her. And she might say, right, I, I want you to go to Ikea and I want you to get a bed for Elia. And I'll go, okay, yeah, I'll get a bed for Elia. But because I'm, you know, I'm not involved in it very much, I'll, I'll go and get a bed or I'll order one. And I'll definitely get it wrong. And I'll definitely get the wrong model or the wrong mattress. And they're all named after Swedish names anyway. So how's anyone supposed to know what, uh, what I can't even pronounce the names of these mattresses. are? They get the wrong color. I'll get this wrong because I'm just doing what she's asked me to do. And I'm trying to please her and I'm trying to do the right thing, but I'm not involved in it. It's just get a bed. But when we sit together, when we talk together, when we're having a cup of tea and we start to discuss, oh, Elliot's too big for her old bed. Maybe we should get a new one. Yeah, I've thought about this. No, that's a stupid idea. What about this? Yeah, that's a good idea. And I get involved in it. Suddenly, I'm inspired. And I think it's my idea. Now, I think actually Leanne's onto something. I think maybe she's making me think it's my idea. But whatever it is, we are intimately involved with it. And therefore, I want to do it. I get it right because it means something to me. Because I'm emotionally connected to it. Because I love it. I want to do it. And that's what it means to bear hug the thoughts of of God. It doesn't just mean obey what he's asked you to do. Get intimately involved with the heart of God. Have a conversation with him. If you're angry, like Alison said, if you're angry at God, tell him about it. The Psalms are full of David being angry with God and God loved him. Get involved with the heart of God and see him completely transform your life and bless you in a way you've not been blessed before. You know, God wants to bless you. Far more than you feel you're deserving to be blessed. He wants to bless you far more than you want to be blessed. God's heart has always been intimacy, blessing, blessing, intimacy. And when we get into the heart of God, we get an understanding of his heart for us. And we're able to walk in these ways. I genuinely believe that God is going to bless us in this next season like we've never known before. I believe blessing is coming to us as a church, as a community. I believe that testimonies will pour out of this place. So many will have to try and keep up with them and write them down. I believe that blessing is coming to our families and places that have become dormant and we've started to think are actually walls. God will open and say, no, it's a door. I believe blessing is coming in the form of health. I believe blessing is coming in the form of finances. I believe most importantly that blessing is coming in an awareness of the presence of God. That makes us say, yeah, that stuff's good. And I love that God wants to do that for me, but I love your presence more. And I believe we are going to be blessed with, a, with the presence of God like we've never known before. Not just in our worship times. In fact, that's the starter. It's like the taster when we're in, together on a Sunday morning. Because when we go out from this place, I believe we're going to experience the presence of God and what it means to know God's presence in our daily lives. You will be overwhelmed with the presence of God at home. You'll be going to bed and some of you won't be able to get into the bed because you'll be falling over drunk with the presence of God. And you won't even know where it's come from because you were having a bad day and it just starts happening. I believe that God is going to bless us. We're going to find finances in places we never knew were there. There's going to be wells opened up and I believe there's going to be revelation coming to us. That God is going to speak to us himself and when he does that, he's just going to continue and continue and continue to bless us. Not that we no longer value intimacy. That's always the forefront of what we're doing. But I believe God wants to bless us and we'll get to a place where we finally believe that God, that we deserve to be blessed because of what he's done, because of his achievements and because of his reward that he wants to give us. So I want to experience that. I believe God's going to give it to us. I just want to pray if that's all right. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you want to bless us. 
Lord, sometimes we find it hard to believe that. Or we think we shouldn't want that. Or that we feel guilty even about being blessed. Take that away, Lord. Let us just accept your love. That you're a father who knows how to give good gifts. And wants to give us good gifts. Lord, help us not to reject your hand. But help us to both hold together that your, your presence, Lord, and your presence. That, Lord God, we would know your presence like never before, Father. Even this week, Lord, we just pray that it wouldn't be right at the end of the year, but right from the start, right from today, Jesus. Let us walk in your culture. Let us not strive, but let us strut in to the presence of God today. Father God, open us up to rest in you and, and feel like we belong there. Help us, Father, to, to lead the way in the world, not out of striving or struggling or working, but out of just accepting the grace and love that you've given us, Lord Jesus. Amen.